Have you ever uh, come up to preach before the last song and you thought it was the last song, but it wasn't the last song? I felt kind of like J.R. Smith there for a minute at the end of the, yeah, it's kind of painful to some of you Cavaliers. You know, at the, at the end of the first game of the NBA Finals, he got that rebound and tried to dribble out the clock and forgot that it was tied. Yeah. And then they lost. And so I just tried to act like I knew what I was doing over there. Like, I'm just up here. I knew it. I came up on purpose. But it really did give me the chance to look over you guys and pray over you. And it's exciting for me to be able to do that. Because some of you this morning, I mean, you're in kind of a tough place. Have you noticed that something's gone wrong with the world? I, I mean, something's kind of knocked it off kilter. It happened way back at the very beginning. I want to talk to you today. You can pull out your notes and you see quite a few verses there, but our daddy's heart for his adopted babies, and um, that's us, if we've stepped into this relationship with Christ. Do you know what the, the law of entropy is? It's the second law of thermodynamics, and that is that the universe is moving from order to disorder. Now, that would almost seem to go against what you know, like evolutionists uh, would teach that we're getting better and better. It's kind of opposite of that. It's like it's going from order to disorder. It started uh, in complexity and it's ending toward randomness. That's what energy tends to do. That's the second law of thermodynamics, entropy. And you can see it all around us. I mean, the universe, our culture, I mean, even our, our own bodies, have, have you begun to age a little bit? Maybe you feel that yet? Some of you young ones, you don't even know what I'm talking about yet, right? But like, guys, for us, even our eyebrows, right? You know, if you're like in your 20s, you're going like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But if you're like in your 50s, 60s, and your eyebrows are out like that, you know, they just keep going, right? <laughs> I saw a... I saw at Walgreens, it had a, an eyebrow trimmer, and it said it had a lithium battery with a 1,000 hours of battery life, and I thought, that's not near enough, really. <laughs> because things, ear hair, right? You know, nose hair. What is, I lost it up here, and just like everywhere else, right? And, and I think maybe like even the ear hair is like God's gift to us as, our, as we age and our eyes go bad so we can feel if we can like make it through small spaces and... I don't know for sure what that is, but it's, it's just, it's crazy. Everything just is like going from like order to disorder. One guy told me, he said, he said, as I've gotten older, he said, I've kind of developed furniture disease. And I was like, what is that? He goes, well, my chest fell into my drawers. I'm like, ah. Yeah, not very good. But you know what I'm talking about. That's what this law of entropy is. And Nothing lasts forever. Nothing seems to work right over time. And, and, and every person who lives long enough is going to encounter circumstances that are difficult to explain. Whether it's cancer or sudden infant death syndrome or divorce or rape or loneliness or infertility, rejection. These and a million other things that lead to human suffering. I was watching a documentary and they were interviewing some people about why they didn't believe in God and one lady was just like are you kidding do you see the world around us how could I believe in God do you see the suffering around us do you see what's going on around us if there's a good God out there how could that even be and I can see how we could maybe come to that conclusion we get these inevitable 
questions that trouble our soul. And one of the things that does us a big disservice is Christian cliches. A lot of us have fallen into, you know, the, the Christian cliche, like, like, well, God doesn't give you more than you can bear. Did you know that's not in the Bible? I think like Benjamin Franklin or somebody said that, you know. But um, here's, the, here's the thing. Another Christian cliche is, well, you know, all things work together for good. And we mean it sincerely maybe, but I think we've missed the, the whole point of it. Maybe it's not the biblical view at all. Maybe that's not what God's trying to say there, this kind of happily ever afterism that, that says no matter what happens, God's going to turn, turn your tragedy you know, in, into a blessing. That's fine for fairy tales, but what about real life? I mean, what do you say when a little child dies? What do you say when the doctor said, I think we got all of that tumor and it comes back with a vengeance? What do you say when you lose your job or your marriage of 38 years goes up in smoke? What do you say? I mean, how does, how does, it's hard to see how these things are good. And when we look at these situations, uh, we kind of got to just say, hey, I'm not going to take the easy, cheap, explanation the cliche it's too quick it's too easy a lot of times tragedies happen well-meaning people say well that's not a tragedy it only looks out just have faith and a lot of people have lost their faith altogether because of the way we've cliched this I want you to imagine with me I have an accident and I wreck my car and I take it to the body shop and he looks and he goes, well, that's not really an accident. That just, you just kind of rearranged your car and, uh, you know, I, I, it's going to work out real nice for me. You know, that's what he's thinking, right? But I'd be going like, buddy, that's ridiculous. I look at the windshield. I'm looking at it, how it's smashed like an accordion. That is, it's wrecked. And some of us in our lives and the things that we've experienced, we just got to say, it's a wreck. Well, the Bible doesn't pretend that tragedy isn't real. And that pain isn't real. The point is, in the middle of it, it's saying there's a God that is doing something. It's not just this mechanical turning of, a, of some impersonal wheel. God is at work. It's not fate or karma or just luck. It's God moving. Now, Paul, in the passage we're going to look at, is he saying whatever happens is good? No, that's not what he's saying at all. Is he saying that suffering and evil and tragedy are good? No. Is he saying that everything will work out if we just have enough faith? No, that's not what he's saying in this, in this passage. Is he saying that we'll understand why God allowed tragedy to come? No, he's not saying that. Well, what is he saying? It's almost as if in this passage that we're going to look at, he's erecting a sign over our life. He's, he's put this sign up and, and, and it says, God is at work. God is at work. I know you can't see it. And I know you don't understand it. And I know it makes no sense to you. But God is at work in you. Little children are afraid of the night a lot of times until, you know, daddy comes. And then daddy sits with them and hugs them up close. And it's still dark. It's still night. But daddy's there. And that's kind of the, the, the idea of what, what Paul is trying to say. There's so many things in life that seem unexplainable. Why does a tornado destroy one home and, and, and not another? Why, 
Why does this person die young and this person live to be 110? All of these things that, that we can't figure out. Our danger is that we judge what we can't see by what we can see. And so since it looks like there's no purpose, we say, well, that's just meaningless. There's no purpose. There's nothing. This is just suffering. It's purposeless. But the very opposite is where we ought to be. We ought to judge the beginning, and that's what we're in, by the end. And that's what Paul is going to give us a, a little bit of perspective on that. I want you to just look up on the screen, the verse that we use all the time, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The little phrase, work together, it's one word in Greek. We get our word synergy from it. And synergy is bringing two things together that are different things and they create a whole new thing. That's what we're going to see in this passage. So I want you to write a few things down. We, let's get some things straight before we even get started, okay? I'll put some blanks there for you. Here it is. Write this in there. The world is broken because of our sin. We're going to see that in just a minute. The world is broken because of our sin. Because the world is broken, we all hurt. But if we are God's children, our suffering is never without purpose. If we are God's children, our suffering is never without purpose. When you get into some of these deeper things, you've got to bring a lot of scripture in because it helps us to really get the feel of it and to know what scripture is trying to say. So let me just read you what Paul says here. We'll start with verse 14 of this chapter of Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. That's the Aramaic. They spoke in Aramaic. They wrote in Greek. Abba is Daddy. Daddy, Father. He's saying there's something different. Jesus came to earth and he told us something about God that we didn't know. He is like a father. With this whole idea of our Father who art in heaven. We didn't have that before Jesus. In fact, the Jewish people, they wouldn't even speak his name. They're afraid they might get struck by lightning. So they had a name for God that was not speakable and, and, and his most holy name. And, and, and so there was this kind of apartness. And, but Jesus said, no, he's not like that. He's not an impersonal force that spun the world into play. And, and even in the midst of your suffering and your heartache and, and the hurt that you feel on this broken planet, you got to understand that you're misreading God let me tell you what he's like and Jesus is the one that told us Paul's picking up on that he says we call him daddy father for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children and since we're his children we're his heirs did you know that your daddy I mean he's got he, he's loaded right if you're a child of God you're his heir an heir of God and it goes on, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, and I don't like this verse as much, we must also share his suffering. And we're going to find out why in a minute. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. There's a really interesting verb in the Greek here in this 
what we suffer now is nothing compared. It's not even really put in there, but the idea of it is it's logizomai. It's a mathematical term. It's used in mathematics, and it's kind of this comparison thing between like one set of numbers and another set of numbers. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, we're going through suffering now, and it seems horrible and terrible, and it truly is that. But logizomai, if you compare it, if you looked mathematically, if you looked formulaically at what God has in mind out of that, there's some glory that's coming that outweighs it. It's kind of like a speck of dust compared to Mount Everest on a scale. And, and, and so he's trying to tell us something here. The term revealed, apokalupto in, in Greek, it means to uncover something that's, that's hidden. He's going to show us something. C.S. Lewis, I love how he talks about suffering. He says this, of course we don't understand suffering. Does a key make sense if you've never seen a lock? I want you to imagine you go down to Lowe's and you, you're going to get a key cut. And you, it's a terrible sound to get a key cut, isn't it? I mean, the grinding and the sparks flying. And, but is the key cutter, is he nicer if he just slips the blank key to you and says, oh, here, I don't really want to, you know, it's gonna, that key's going to suffer. So here, I'm going to give you just this. It won't unlock anything, will it? It won't function the way it was intended to function. No, every cut and every mark is strategically placed. In fact, there's a pattern that it's placed after. There's another key usually on the other side, and he's copying this other key, right? And he's following the very lines of it so that it'll fit and it'll work. So what is suffering for? It unlocks something. It unlocks something. What does it unlock? We don't know yet. <laughs> it unlocks something we don't understand. The Bible says in another place, eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has in mind for us. What he's planning for us. He's not, he's given us little, he's dropped some hints. But we don't know exactly what it is. All we know is that what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later and that word to us is really into us he's making us into something he's creating something so that we can open so that we can do what he's intended for us to do the door C.S. Lewis says on which we've been knocking all our lives will open at last and it's interesting because he goes on in verse 19 he says it's not just us that feel it he said for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Let's just look at that, those phrases there. All creation is waiting eagerly. One version says, standing on Tiptoe, the word, it, it bears a sense that there's something greatly desired. There's this keen anticipation, intense anticipation. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. What did the plants do? What did the animals do? What, what, why did the birds deserve to be subjected to death and decay? Yet we see that's true. 
The Bible tells us it came from the very beginning when God said to man, I've created this. Now you have dominion over it. There's something he wanted us to learn from the very beginning. How to rule and reign with him. And so he had Adam and Eve and he said, you're like the king and the queen here. And your word is law. And I want you to rule and I want you to reign under me. I want you to take this planet. It's yours. And he meant it. And Adam and Eve, they fell into sin. And our very first father and mother and all of us have sinned since then. And there's just this giant snowball of all of this stuff that's just rolling downhill. And it seems like it's going to just roll over us and crush us. And because of that, no part of nature exists the way God intended it to. But the Bible says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death... Through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And it says, so all of creation is under God's curse. The word there is literally futility. Futility, it's the word matayot, matayotas. And emptiness, that, that which is vain, that which is unable to achieve a goal or purpose. Because of humanity's sin, all of nature and the created order, it can't reach its intended purpose. Thorns, thistles, tsunamis. The imbalances of nature, all a consequence of man's fall. But creation's going to be set right one day, the Bible says. And its future is directly tied to our future. The whole created universe is suffering because of man's first disobedience. And so what is the nature of it? It's this futility, this not being able to be what it was intended to be. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a scholar of some years ago, he made this insight. He said, I wonder whether the phenomenon of spring is speaking to this. Nature, every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. It has come out of the death and darkness of all that is true of the winter. And in the spring, it seems to be trying to produce a creation, to go through some kind of birth pains year by year. But unfortunately, it doesn't succeed, for spring leads only to summer, summer to autumn, autumn to winter, to death. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat, defeat the vanity of the principle of death and decay and disintegration that is in it, but it cannot do so. It fails every time. Still, it goes on trying, but it never succeeds. Isaiah, in his prophecy in chapter 11, he speaks about a day that is going to come one day when God is in charge of everything. And, and I don't understand nobody really understands how this is going to work I mean people will tell you they can come up with all these elaborate theories but listen to what he says uh, in poetic terms but there's so much truth in it he says and the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the little baby goat and the calf and the young lion lion and the fatling together they will all be there together and a little boy will lead them and the cow and the bear will graze and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. He pictures this different kind of creation. Have you ever seen that the, the planet Earth, you know, that series? It's just an amazing series, but... There's just, it's just in high def and there's this one 
point in which a, a great white shark just comes up out of the water and grabs that seal in its mouth and, you know, comes back down. And it's just, in its violence, and it, it's almost majestic in a sense. There's another in which this pride of lions takes down an elephant. But that was never what God intended. That was never what it was to be like, the death, you know, the, where the strong prey on the weak. That, that's a byproduct of our fall, of man's sin. So we see this futility in the dilemma of nature, but also in our dilemma in this progressive modern age. You know, we just feel like we're, we're just doing better and better and growing more and more and more, and yet things seem to be falling apart around us. I mean, we have accumulated knowledge and all the wisdom of the ages, and yet these problems just persist. I mean, we have libraries full of books by experts on marriage, but divorce seems to be the norm. We have all of this knowledge about alcoholism now and where it comes from and the causes and the source, and yet American alcoholics increase at the rate of 50 an hour, 1,200 a day, 70% of them women. We haven't we live in this age of psychology and psychotherapy and, and psychiatry, yet our mental issues, they're worse than ever. And the people of this world, we long for peace, and yet we continue to be at war. And now there's a thing that we don't even call war anymore. We just call it terror, right? It's more random than war. It's something we can't figure out. The Bible is saying the whole creation groans. That word groan is sustenazo in the Greek, and it means to groan together. It means that like a symphony together, there's this thing that's moving and groaning, but we're feeling this. But what's interesting about it, it says it's like the pangs of childbirth. What Paul is saying here, he's saying it's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse, and it's going to get closer, and it's going to get closer, and it's going to begin to be right on top of each other, all of these things going on, and you're going to feel it, and you're going to know it, and you're going to know the futility. You feel the futility of this world? But he said it's not in vain. It's leading to childbirth. It's leading to something. It's leading to something that we've never known, something that we don't know, something, some creation of God that we can't figure out there's something going on here and this perspective begins to change all of a sudden he says in verse 23 and we believers also groan even though we have the holy spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering do you god why did i do that again i'm so tired of myself i'm so disgusted with myself We've grown, don't we? And then the suffering and the aches and the pains and all of the stuff. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. What does that mean? I don't know. But it sounds pretty cool. Including the new bodies he's promised us. The word glory, it means the fulfillment of purpose in the Bible. The glory of a violin is to produce music. The glory of the sun is to shine and produce heat. The glory of a tree is to bear fruit and shade and beauty. It's fulfillment of purpose. And he's saying, you're going to experience 
this glory that's beyond anything that you can imagine, the fulfillment of your purpose. That means there's going to come this day that we're going to go, oh, this is it. This is, this is, this is, this makes sense. The key is going to fit exactly in the lock and it's going to open the door. What is it? Again, he says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has planned. So, verse 24, we're given this hope when we were saved. By the way, you know, the Bible says that the outward part of us is decaying. Do you feel that? I mean, if you're in your teens, you don't feel that. You feel like, man, I'm strong as I can be. If you're 20, 30, maybe even. But it seems like as it gets a little older, like we talked about. I mean... I realize that the, the older uh, th- that I get, that the other people my age, they're so much older than me. Have you noticed that? I, I mean, I'm looking around and they'd say, they'll, they'll say, how old are you? And they'll say, my age. And I look at them, no, you're way older than me, right? In fact, we change a lot. I, I saw an old friend the other day, he changed so much he didn't even recognize me. But, <laughs> you know, these guys that you saw in high school and you're going like, I remember you as this like football player, but you look like a middle-aged man now, you know, with kind of a little bit of a beer gut. Um, That's what he's talking about. Verse 24, we're given this hope when we're saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it, but we look forward to something we don't yet have. We must wait patiently and confidently. What he's saying is there's something. If you can understand this and you can get the hope here, it's going to enable you to move out of your comfort zone. It's going to enable you to see something that maybe you can't quite see, but you know it's there. It's not hope like, oh, I just really hope that the rockets, no, let's not talk about them, okay? It's, it's a kind of a knowing kind of hope. There's this thing out there that, that something's going, going to happen. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed In words, our suffering reveals our weakness. It it strips away the mask of self-sufficiency. And and we see our helplessness. It forces us to confront our own inabilities. And it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, what weakness? Uh, It's because what is our weakness? Well, our weakness is we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know how to pray. And so the Spirit asks for things because we don't know what God wants us to ask for. It's saying because we're weak, we're confused. We don't know what to ask for. Our weakness blinds us to something that God wants for us. What is that? I think that we, the answer is we don't understand the secret of God's will about suffering. See, I think it kind of works this way. God's doing something and and something's happening. And I'm not saying that it's good because it's bad. But God causes Good. That's what he causes something good out of something bad. We've sinned and we've fallen and the world is in entropy and it's decaying and there's death and this is bad. But God wants to do something good. So, for example, we're suffering and maybe we lost our job and so our prayer is, what? Of course, we go, Jesus, give me a new job. And the spirit inside of us is saying, not quite yet, Lord, not quite yet. Because there's some things that you're building into him that I see that you're building and it's almost there. He's just not quite got it yet. A couple more weeks without a job. 
You're going like, well, thanks, Holy Spirit, if you knew that, right? Because the Holy Spirit understands what the will of God is. The Holy Spirit understands what God is doing. And so we pray that, and the Holy Spirit corrects our prayers. And and no one knows exactly how this goes on between the Spirit and the Father, but it must be something like what I just said. The words of Henry Viscardi bring the truth home in a powerful way. He says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve and I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Verse 27, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know, and we know, we don't hope again, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Don't separate this from the rest of it. God's not saying some flippant, well, it all works together for good. It's all going to be great. Tragedy's going to be awesome. He's saying in the midst of it all, don't forget that I know what I'm doing. And even though you messed up, and your forefathers messed up, and, and, and there's this entropy, and there's this decay, and there's this death that I never intended to be there. I will even use that to create in you what you're supposed to be. I will use it, even though it's bad, even though it hurts. And we kind of got to redefine the word good, don't we? Because to me, good means comfort and long life and Good to God means to be made in the image of Jesus. And it's kind of like that key is a copy of something. He's making us into Jesus' image. Because it says that the whole purpose of all of, all of us, it's not about us. <laughs> we get real caught up, you know. Uh, there used to be a little booklet that said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And some of you came into a relationship with Christ through that little book, you know. And It's true, he does love you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but you're not the center of the universe. The plan of God is not about you. He's got something else going on. He's teaching us to rule and reign. Jesus is gonna be preeminent over everything. And and, and we're gonna be a part of it. We're gonna get to be a part of it. I don't know if we're just a peripheral part or we're a main part. We don't know all of that yet, but we're part of it. God's got a purpose and his purpose won't be thwarted. That's what this says. Evil people can't thwart his purpose. Evil things that they do can't thwart his purpose. The most evil thing they ever did, they crucified his son and he took that and he made it the centerpiece of our salvation. That's what God can do. That's the kind of God he is. That's how he moves. So God and good in his eyes maybe aren't the same as what we're thinking and He's going to use everything that happens to us to transform us into the image of his son. Does that include the worst things that happen to us? Yes. Does that include the things that hurt us deeply? Yes. 
Does that include the times we're heartbroken? Yes. Does that include the times we sin? Yes. Does that include the times when we doubt God? Yes. Does that include the times we shake our fist in God's face and curse him? Yes. Even when we don't believe, his purpose will not be broken for us. Now it's important that we know that he's talking about, he says, talking about those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's talking about believers. Not just anybody on the planet. He's talking about those of us who've stepped into that relationship. He called out to us and said, I've got a purpose for you. And we stepped into it and we know. It's like listening to the notes of the symphony, but I don't understand them, but I, I know the composer, so it means a lot to me. I, I, I see the fabric and I don't get it. Or I, I see the poem and I don't understand it, but I know the poet or I know the, the designer. And, and, and so I know that, that they're good. Don't try to explain the unexplainable to somebody. When they're going through tragedy, just walk with them. God's going to do his stuff. He's going to do what he does. And it, it's important that we understand that. Somebody said to a preacher one time, where was God when I lost my son? And there's no words for that. The preacher went home and he thought to himself, because God just kind of, I guess in the same place, the same place that he was when he lost his son. He's right there. He hasn't moved away. He sees all of it. He knows all, he's not distant and far. He hasn't spun the world into play and steps back and goes, have at it, you guys, messing it up. He's right in the middle of it with us. We just don't get it. We don't understand what's happening. We don't understand how there's going to be this door. The door which we've been longing to open all of our lives will one day open. C.S. Lewis says it's going to be like, oh, oh, whoa. I was going to talk about the rockets a little, but I, I, they, 27 missed threes and you can't talk about them anymore right but the Astros how about those Astros you know last year this year they're a little inconsistent right but last year did you watch the World Series how many of you saw the World Series I'll just close with it you watched did you watch the Dodgers and the Astros right was that awesome you know and, and I don't know about you but I had a hard time believing I wanted to but that you know it, we were the Dodgers had home field advantage and they started out in that second game especially I thought, you know, we'd hit a home run, and I go, oh, we're going to win it, and then they'd hit a home run, and then we'd hit a two-run homer, and then, and like in the 10th, and then they'd hit a two, it's like, what is this? And I keep thinking we're going to lose. And then we finally pulled that game out, and then we got ahead, and then we lost game six, and we're playing game seven in Los Angeles, and I was like, we're cooked. I wanted to believe, I wanted to be one of those big believers, I just couldn't get, get there, you know, I was just groaning I was just new and we won it all right yeah I mean it was a highlight of, of everyone's like after Hurricane Harvey we're like we won it all now what would happen now if I said to you let's go back and watch that those seven games of the World Series again you probably go yeah I'll watch it with you that'll be but are you going to feel the same way I, I mean are you going to go like oh we're going to lose ah! Lidge, you know, thinking of all the, or, or some, who is, don't put in the relievers, don't put in the relief, you know, 
You gonna you gonna do that? No, you're gonna go like, watch this, watch this, this is hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, right? That's what Paul's trying to tell us here. If we could get it, that's what we'd be doing. This suffering. And it's not nothing. It's horrible and it's awful. And the feelings that you have are totally valid. And all that you're going through is real. But if you have stepped into this relationship with Christ, he says, Logizomai, it's it's nothing compared to the glory that the purpose, the, the, the key fitting, he's doing something. It's not in vain. This suffering is not without purpose. God didn't cause it, but he will use it to, pre- to do this glory, this thing, this opening that when we see it, we're going to go like, that's what it's all about. I want you just to close your eyes with me for just a second. I'm not going to give you any cliches if you're in the middle of deep hurt. I'm not going to try to give you some kind of words of comfort. There aren't words. But I would say, kind of like what Paul is saying in this passage. Shh. Quiet. God is at work. It's not for nothing. He knows what he's doing. He sees the end from the beginning. There's a purpose. There's something going on. If we could just understand. But we can't. We can't see it yet. We can't see it. The door hasn't opened yet. But he's fitting us to be the key that unlocks the door. That opens into this glory. Whatever that is. Will you trust his heart? Maybe the biggest thing that you can do right now when you don't feel like it is just say the word Abba, Daddy. What is that saying? I trust you. I trust you, Daddy, in the dark. I need you, Daddy, in the dark. I want to hold tight to you, Daddy, in this darkness. Still dark. I know it's still really, really dark. But your Abba is there. Your daddy's there. Trust him. Lean into him. I promise it won't be in vain. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus right now that you would open our hearts to this. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in us. For this moment, you do your will in us For all of eternity. Do all that you have in mind. Holy Spirit you pray for us. And we will accept what you're praying for us. Because we know your heart is good daddy. We know it. In Jesus name. Amen. Got some people up here if you want to pray with somebody. They'll come and pray over you. Pray with you and walk with you in the darkness. It's good to have brothers and sisters to do that too. I love you community of faith. We'll see you next weekend.